Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linta, the former chief marketer, marketing officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Tom Seklow. Today's topic, a 360-degree look at the CMO interview and insider dishes on what really happens during the interview process. Tom has been with Spencer Stewart, one of the best search firms for nearly 25 years after starting his career in advertising at Foot Coden and Belding. That is a blast from the past. He specializes in CMO and customer experience searches, and this is his second time on the show. Full disclosure, I've known Tom since our past cross when I was an assistant brand manager on Safeguard at P&G, and Tom's now wife was the account executive. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Mike. A pleasure to be back on the show, and thanks for thanks for hosting this. You're more than welcome. Okay, so the plan for today is to look at the interview from the perspective of the candidate, the company, and the search firm. And why don't you start, Tom, by setting the stage for us. A company calls Spencer and says, I want a CMO or I want a head of marketing. What happens next? Yeah. So uh, it's it, the, the most typical kind of scenario is we sit down with the hiring manager and the hiring manager can be it's often the CEO, sometimes it's divisional president, sometimes um, accompanied by the head of HR. And they lay out to us what the job entails. And, and that and we, we usually try to get a running start of not just the job that they've spec'd or maybe even sometimes they're using the spec from when they hired their last CMO. But understand the context of what's happening in the business, what the challenges are that they're facing, um, and, and get a broader perspective, which is helpful on a bunch of measures, um, as you can imagine, to yeah. uh, to help frame the role and, and not just lay out the responsibilities of what the marketer, uh, what they think the marketer is there to do, but also how the marketer is going to have impact on the overall business. And we also like to, in that part, we call it the environmental, we like to talk to other people who are going to weigh in. So those who will be interviewing the candidate, uh, we want to get their take too. And um, often we will find that there isn't complete alignment on what the job is. or uh, and, and it's not our job to solve that necessarily, but at least to flag it so that we have enough alignment that we know what we're looking for and we know if there are pieces that that may not um be as apparent yeah, so, so well put tom so we had um we had a business professor from dardanon who basically said that it's very rare in her mind that there is alignment and a lot of times the company gets the job spec wrong uh because they are using an old job spec or they actually may not 100 percent agree on what they want how often do you think they they need adjustments when they call you in? Yeah, and let me say something, because I do talk to my peers who recruit functional leaders for uh, CFOs, CIOs, I HR, do, yeah. legal counsel and stuff. 
And those job specs are much more consistent. Marketing is interpreted different in different companies, even, you know, in the same competitive industry sectors. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we typically will tweak them. And I do think we do get enough alignment on what good looks like. And in fact, when we have searches that go awry, if you chase trace it back, it's usually because there wasn't alignment on what that job spec was up front. So the job spec is important and we do interview. I mean, we conduct our interviews against those job specs and we encourage our clients to, you know, follow that also. So, so you've got the, you've talked to the company, you've talked to the hiring manager, yeah. and the, a lot of the panel that, and now you're setting up for the search. How do, how do you do it? Like you're calling like, just tell us what happens. Yeah. So uh, we, we document the the job spec. You've, you've seen them probably. And um, just, just a few, <laughs> just a few. And they're intended. That document is intended it is our brief. So it's intended to um, provide, you know, a, a measuring stick of how we evaluate the candidates, but it's also a marketing document. So it should be written in a way that's going to be enticing and lay out, you know, what the, what the candidate needs to do. Um, and importantly, there's a section on ours called desirable outcomes, desired outcomes, and, and that's list two or three things. And those often make their way into the actual bonus structure for that candidate, the MBO, MBO. So, I mean, it's not just a throwaway, but actual, um, you know, here are the three things you got to do in the first give year. Give us a couple examples of what are good, desirable outcomes. Yeah, and yeah, and what I think are, what are poorly written outcomes. So the more specific they are, the better, generally speaking. So if one of the things is um, the team is weak, and you're yeah. being hired to fix the team, to yeah. help assess the team that's there, to retrain, to recruit new people as necessary, etc. And if there are specifics about you know. Um, the team, you know, not naming names or positions, but specifics about the team. That's a good thing for uh, somebody coming in to grab onto. To go, oh, I get that. That's what yeah. needs to be done. Or if it's about, you know, whatever the topics are that this, the company um, uh, is is struggling with or needs to be done, something that needs to be fixed. It's it's if it's about maintenance or like brand health or kind of general attributes. That's not as good. Oh, a, a real conceptual one. Like we want our brand to be stronger. That is a weak spec. Exactly. Okay. Helpful. Thanks. So now what are you doing now? Are you calling a bunch of candidates and running them by the company or you're serving? Not yet. Apps? Not yet. So not yet. Um, we get the spec done. We all agree on the spec. Yes, that's what we want to do. We usually start off by doing an exercise of a long list. So this is a, a, a bunch of names, usually a couple of dozen names of people, profiles, um, most of whom we know, but not always, uh, who, and we try to test our client on that to see kind of um, how far we can stretch in different directions. And this of, is before you've called any of them, right? You're correct. just, these are, you're, you're anonymously putting. Correct. This, this is no part of getting alignment. In yeah. Fact. Okay. And very often we'll know a number of the people on the list would probably be interested in such a job. And um, then we have some people on there that may stretch. And a lot of things come out in doing this exercise that didn't come up during the, the environmental discussions. Things about, you know, we call unconscious bias, but if somebody has an MBA, where they went to school, you know, what their first jobs were, what how large the team was that they managed never was an issue. Now it's questionable or what, whatever. But a bunch of things come up inevitably in those discussions 
Um, biases about companies. You know, this person worked at that company. I don't respect that company. Or can you right. imagine the press release if we hired somebody from our direct competitor and they're going to come in here and show us how to do things sort of thing. But a lot of things emerge in those conversations. And, and sometimes um, a company will have partnerships with uh, <clears throat> with other companies that they don't really recognize until they see the name on a list. Oh, we can't recruit from that company because they're a partner to us. Or they're uh, they're like our biggest vendor or they're our biggest vendor partner. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that comes up. And then um, once we get, you know, agreement on that and often we'll hear from them, oh gosh, I really like these sorts of profiles or these particular people. You know, we've we've got our direction set and we go into the market. Usually it takes about two to three weeks before a client starts seeing candidates um, from, from the time that we start an assignment. And, and so after you do this thing where you say, all right, I've anonymized these names and I put them out and now I understand a little more finely what the company is looking for, then I start reaching out to people or am I yeah. already reaching out to people kind of that I'm certain are going to be in the game? Well, so, I mean, we're constantly in the market um, yeah. So and it's a fluid market out there. So people are writing in or calling us about, hey, I'm, I'm foreseeing my company's about to be sold or I just got reorganized out of a job or I need to move, uh, I got divorced, whatever. You know, people are constantly changing. So, you know, we, we're working parallel to knowing who's in the market and whatever. And the names are not anonymized, by the way. I mean, we okay. talk, when we, when we do this long list with the client, we're identifying people. It's an oh, exercise. Right. We haven't reached out to them. Um, in some cases, we'll know somebody's very likely to be interested. Anyway, at that point, we go out into the marketplace. We are talking to people, and um, we're getting their interest in the role. And once somebody um, has raised their hand, we will interview them and go into depth about how they match up against a position spec. Um, and so you would say, like, it, I like I could have been on a long list, and you'd say, "This is Mike Linton." We, you know, he's he's a sample of what we're looking at. It comes out of consumer goods as, as right on retail or something and here's so-and-so from this and then then you start reaching out or you may know somebody's in the market and then how, how many people do you talk to in the beginning like like because yeah. you could call hundreds right yeah it depends on what the search is i mean if it is something if it's a very large uh cmo role they're going to be fewer people who are going to be qualified just in terms of having managed uh, the size of the budget the size of the team etc and and they're probably better known to us also because right. you know, we've done similar searches. So in a search like that, probably fewer people. If it is you know a company that um, is either early stage or in a remote location, you know the numbers of people are going to be greater. A typical search for us is we end up presenting probably four to seven candidates, something like that. Yeah, uh, which is enough to have context of what good looks like for our clients and give them choices. Um, uh, but it's not so many, if, if when you start getting past like seven or eight, the search will take a much longer time. And this may sound obvious, but what drives the, the timing for a search is the number of candidates that we present and the number of interviews that they go through with our clients. So if a client yeah. has a panel of, you know, six or seven people, the actual scheduling time is a bear. Yeah, if you got eight candidates and eight, you know, it's going to, you're talking months just to get through the interview process. It's a lot of permutations. So meanwhile, back at the hiring company, you're 
you've got these candidates coming. We'll talk about how the candidate should handle him or herself as they go through this. But the company is absorbing these and you give them the seven names and they say, I want to talk to these three first and park Tom in the back or what happens? Yeah. So the other thing I mentioned is a fluid market. So um, when we start presenting candidates, it's we don't have everybody lined up chronologically, you're going to meet these. Sometimes we were able to do that, but for most of the time, we're not. You know, we can get people in there um, two or three early on. Uh, sometimes when we're when we're getting briefed on an assignment, sometimes we'll say, hey, we know somebody who's fantastic that lines up against this. They're about to get an offer on something else. If you want to see them, they're going to go off the market, but there's a window here if you want to see them. And our clients often will say, yeah, or sometimes they'll say, no, we want to see it in context of other candidates that we'd be able to land you know, on this kind of similar timing. And, and sometimes that's driven by their own needs. You know, a lot of the searches we do are confidential. There's an incumbent in place. Right. Um, and we have to do these under NDA, which, you know, slows things down um, because we have to go back and forth and getting an NDA right. signed, et cetera. Uh, and sometimes there's a vacancy in the role, which is, is more urgent. Um, sometimes a company is working toward getting a, uh, the new hire on in times for in time for a sales meeting or a new product launch, you know that can those kind of variables will drive the timing part of it. But to, 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 you, oh, go ahead. Uh, to, to answer your question, the um, once they start seeing candidates, the process can get drawn out, and you know for a variety of reasons. And a lot of our searches, I don't know what the percentage is. A lot of them, they're internal candidates as well. The client says, right. hey, I want you to benchmark this person in the same way you're looking at all the external candidates and evaluate them and tell us how good our own. Um, uh, that adds a degree of difficulty, does it not? It does. It absolutely does. So if I'm an external candidate, am I advantaged of being early or late in the process? How should I? And then I get a call from Spencer. What is? What should I do and what shouldn't I do? Yeah, I think as a candidate, you want to go in kind of in context with the other candidates. So you don't want to be an outlier on either end of it. So and, you'd be in the middle if you could. Yeah, yes. But and, and we try to group them as best we can to give everyone sort of equal footing. But it, that's difficult to do just because of all the, um, uh, the variables we talked yeah, about. A lot of yeah, but if somebody's going in on Monday and the next candidate's going on Wednesday, that's not really a disadvantage. But if I come in this week and then the next slate is two weeks later, that is a disadvantage, kind of. It can be, yes. Got it. That's helpful. It can right. be. I mean, it's, it's you know what? It's it's like um, when you look at uh, when you're selecting <clears throat> new copy from your creative partners. I mean, the recency effect it does have a it does have an impact. I I do think. And okay. there, I, I do think there are also things that candidates can do, which I'll talk about in a second, or I can talk about it now. I'll talk about it right now. Okay. Right? I think candidates, <laughs> if they are hungry for a job and they know that they're going in early in the process, in the interviewing process, they can sort of create a little mini campaign for themselves. And I've advised candidates to do this where, you know, you pick up on things in the interview conversation that if, if, if it drags into weeks, since you were last in there, right? You know, uh, send an email and say, "Hey, I just came across this," or "I was just thinking about a question you asked me in our conversation," and you know, things that that show you send like little little crispies back to the company. Exactly. I saw it, and here it is. Exactly. 
that I'm still, I want to stay in your consciousness. Exactly. But they, they, A, they have to be relevant. So it's not just, hey, remember me, I still want the job. I read an article with your company in it. Yeah. Um, uh, and B, you got to balance that fine line of being a pest and uh, showing interest. So, so what are some no-nos? You, you just gave us some, you know, try and be in good context. Recency effect is to your advantage. If you are early and you really want the job, stay connected tastefully. What's the uh, what's some things you should not do as a candidate? Well, um, in the interview itself, there are a whole lot of them that I'm sure you've probably heard about or seen. Yeah, maybe done. <laughs> so maybe not. Yeah. Um, in the actual interview, but in, in the process, I think um, one of the hardest things is is patience, and um, and particularly if you're an internal candidate because you know this is going on and it's you're distracted and of course your your interest is hearing back from the company and what's my next right. step and they're going through a process that can take weeks sometimes months to meet other candidates and it's usually about wanting to feel thorough that they've met a lot of people it's a big decision their the intention is to keep this new executive um, as part of their c-suite for a long time to come and they want to make sure they get it right. And I think from a candidate's perspective, it's like, why am I not hearing back? Yes. I haven't yes. heard anything. Gosh darn it. I Tom Seclo has not returned. You know, I haven't heard back from the reason that you haven't heard back typically is that, you know, there is no news that there and the you know, where's the feedback on me? The feedback is typically um comparative. You know, I like this about this person and that about somebody else. So they need a point of comparison to have that. And provide it, you know, in the context of, of, of how you're doing. So, you know, I, I know it's an easy thing for me to say to be patient, um, but that, that how is- long is patience before you reach out? Like if I don't hear anything from Tom Seclo, who I know is very busy and important, but if I don't hear anything for, for two to three weeks, do I reach out to you to show that I'm interested or do I play it cool and do nothing? There's no harm in reaching out and saying I'm interested. I think, you know, um, uh, when frustration shows through of why, why am I not getting any feedback? And, you know, part of my role in this is um, I try to give every candidate real feedback that goes through the process. So I, I know that they're preparing for this. It's, it's, they take time off. They're often traveling to go meet with clients or right. at least they're studying up and they're putting their heart on the line in doing this. And part of my role is to give them real feedback, whether they are selected or not. And, if they're not selected to know how they showed up, you know, to I've spent time with them and um, I took a bet on them too. So it's important for me. And I want to know if I'm going to present this person again, that I learned at least through my client's eyes, how they showed up in this and to give real feedback to the candidates of here's how you did it. And not just say, Oh, it wasn't a cultural fit. Cause I think that's, 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 a, that's, that's like, we want the brand to be strong. Yeah. But if somebody, if somebody goes to an interview and they're talking too much, which is the, probably the number one thing that I do hear back on uh, candidates who are not successful, I tell them, um, you know, you, you talk too much. You got to listen and listen for cues of when, and, and I, I've kind of traced this back. I think the reason that a lot of candidates talk too much, and this is not just for CMOs, it's for all execs. And I, I do a lot of CEO work. They're under the impression that they want to be able to sell their accomplishments. And as I've already described the process to you, they're sort of pre-sold by the time they get there. So the client is really interested in digging in and understanding 
content and how they're going to feel in their organization. And, you know, they want it to be more of a give and take. It's not a sales pitch per se for the candidate to wind up and tell them about, you know, how they stole three points a share from whatever. I, I, I increased our search word buying efficiency. The um, so, t- I, so you're a finalist. Do you know you're a finalist? Like, do you tell everybody like there's three finalists or two finalists or you're the number in the number one slot because, you know, you, you've got to be running at slate, right? Yeah, I, I let people know where they are to some extent. I'll say, hey, there are three other people who are still involved in the process. I want you to know that. Um, and I need to know also from the candidate if they're actively looking and engaged in other searches. Uh, you know, I need to manage a process with my clients. So I need to say, hey, are you far along on other things? You don't have to share with me if it's confidential or you don't want to, but just let me know where you stand in that. So I'm not surprised. And a lot of the time candidates will signal to me, um, yeah, I've got two other things going on. There's one that's much more interesting to me. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm still interested in this, but I don't know if I'm going to get the other job. And, you know, um, we'll help play that in, into the into the equation. And how about when you know, like they say there's a lead candidate, but you're still in the running. You're, you, or do you tell people that like you're the backup choice or how does that work? Depending on the circumstance. So I, you know, I can't abdicate any negotiation position and tell somebody you're our absolute uh, choice in this. Right. They really want you and nobody else. And yeah, now uh, ask I'm, I'm reluctant to do that uh, in most circumstances. And it is circumstantial. Um, but if somebody is, tells me, hey, you know what? I'm looking at two things right now. Um, they're about on equal footing. I could see myself doing either of them. And I know that they're a runner up on our search. I will let them know that, hey, my client's giving priority to another candidate in this. I'm not sure we'll get an offer out or I'm not sure the offer will be accepted. But I want you to be able to have that information while you're making your decision, too. And am I, as a candidate, should I ask you that question directly or should I let you come to me with it? And will all search firms do the same no, thing with it? I, I can't answer the last part of your question, but I, I have you no could. problem. You and could. I appreciate it when someone, yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate when someone is is open with me about it and I'll yeah. tell them, you know, what I can. Um, but it's, you know, I think we're both being a little bit cagey there. I'm, I'm as open as I can about where they stand in the process. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I won't tell them uh, any specifics about other candidates. A lot of candidates will ask me that, you know, does this person, am I competing against somebody who's got this sort of background or that sort of background? I, that's not going to You can't, you can't do that. I can't. And it's not really helpful for them anyway. Also, you can't do anything about it. Like I, exactly. I, I'm not going to go back and get a, a degree from a different school. Um, exactly. I guess I could, but uh, I'm not going to. So um, tell us the funniest recruiting story you could tell on the air. Well, so, you know, we're dealing with a lot of personal situations and um, careers and moving people and things like that. So there are a lot of things that happen that seem funny at the time, but they're kind of personal. But I, I can share a story that one of the things that happens a lot of the time, and um, most times actually, before somebody goes to meet with a client organization in person, they'll ask about wardrobe. You know, what should I wear? How do they dress? Exactly. You know, men and women, you know, they both want to know how, how to, how's the rest of the organization dress? And, um, my, my typical advice is to be a little dressier than the client organization. I'll describe how the client dresses. So, I mean, if it's, 
farmers, the guys wear plaid shirts for the most part. And, you know, you want to look, you you shouldn't wear a suit and tie to that kind of organization. And you want to, um, uh, I think, carry yourself so that they could see you in their environment, but be a little dressier than they. And then, you know, that makes sense to most people. I had one um, not that long ago where the client called me the next day and said, um, gave me some feedback on the candidate and said, um, um, we're not sure we want to go forward with her. Um, she had overwhelming amount of fragrance on. And I, I would never have thought to think about the fragrance. And the hiring manager had a real aversion to her. She had very, uh, sensitive olfactory senses and, um, Anyway. I do remember interviewing at eBay the first time and I wore a tie and they, I, I made it past that interview, obviously, but they said, if you wear a tie the next time, we're going to cut that off. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think there's something there. You so, don't want to look like you're from another time zone. Exactly. So wrap up, we're almost out of time. So wrap up the session with some practical advice for our listeners that we haven't talked about so far. Yeah, so we didn't talk about the interview itself very much. And All I right, let's think, do that. Okay, so, well, a few things. If you're looking for a job, I think it's important when you contact recruiters or your network to have um, a real good understanding of yourself. And if you're a marketer, think of yourself as a brand. Actually, if you're not a marketer, think of yourself as a brand. It's not that you want a job. It's that you want a career choice. And you have to define what those parameters are. And it's, you know... My colleagues and I all get lots of calls and emails saying, right. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. I flip that around typically and say, well, whose job do you want to have? Yeah. What's the right next job for you? And don't put it on me to evaluate, you know, you did this, this, and this. So here's the best job for you. I want you to tell me, gosh, my dream job is to be the CMO of this company because it in- involves involves um uh, technology, media, and entertainment, and those are my three passions, or whatever it is. And even go as far as to make a list of the companies. It doesn't matter if somebody's in the job. Right. Just something to signal, these are the kinds of companies that I would be most interested in uh, for, for you to think of me for. So and, that's step one in the interview is to have a brand and a story. Yeah, and that's really for more for job seekers and okay. distinguishing here because a lot of the people we place are not job seekers. They're entrenched in their job today. And we right. reach out to them and say, hey, here's a terrific role for these reasons and the next step up in your career or whatever that is. So anyway, framing what the opportunity is and what you're good at, I think, is really important. And you as a brand and how you should be thought of by recruiters and by your own personal network, either either of which is are going to be conduits for your, your next career kind of progression. The interview itself, I think it's really important to tell stories and to have your stories down and and not try to address what you think the client's situation needs, even though they may ask you. Yeah. But run, tell stories that are parallel to what the job requirements are. What happens sometimes when a candidate has studied an awful lot about a client situation, they'll come in there and say, oh, you, you, you ought to be doing this, this, and this. That's a, that's a really bad thing. Yeah, you're you? leading with your chin, obviously, because, you know, um, they may have tried this, this, and that, or you don't know their business, or, um, you know, just the idea of doing that is probably going to put somebody off. Maybe later. Oh, yeah, I want problem. you bridging. I want you bridging to an example that I can 
take if I want, but don't tell me about a business that we've been working on for 50 years that you're not even exactly. in. Exactly. Exactly. So you can say, you know, when I faced a similar sort of situation, here's what this and, and stories, by the way, should have a beginning, middle and end. Here's what the situation was. Here's what I led. I did with the team. Here's what the outcome is. And the outcome needs to be punctuated with facts, figures, yeah, some numbers, and something measurable. And then everyone loved me. So what? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. those are the two things. So what's what's the last piece of practical advice for the interview that we could we could close the show on? Send a thank you note. Uh, I, 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 like, what 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 should you put in the thank you note? Like, do you want to like yeah. give a perfect send, send a thank you note and, and and tailor the tailor the thank you note to the interviewers. Um, the the client organization they do share. You know, they'll say, "Oh, guys, yeah, they they, you got the same note as me." Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Don't make it exactly the same because <laughs> that becomes hilarious. That that just becomes hilarious. I've yeah. been on that where it's like this is the nicest thank you note I ever got, except for the one that Tom got, which is exactly the same. Yeah. Well, you laugh at that, but it's it does happen. No, I've done. I've shared yeah. it around with my team. <laughs> and then um, uh, the other advice that I offered is, you know, if you're in a process, be cool about the timing check in. You know, especially if you're getting disgruntled or if you're heading toward an offer on something else, you know, make sure you're checking in. Um, and then I, I think it's incumbent, you know, on the recruiter to give feedback. It's that's at the right point of actual feedback, something that's going to be constructive, something you're going to learn from. I mean, you don't go out on that many job interviews and, you know, it's an enormous amount of time and commitment to do that. So make sure you're collecting feedback. And that's that's on me, you know, as a recruiter, right. too. But it's it's I think it's on the person who's being recruited don't just, you know, if, you, if you didn't get it don't walk away with your tail between your legs and go oh gosh that was not a good experience learn from it well and i hear you also saying ask for the feedback if you don't get it and then all they can do is say no so that is a that's a great way to wrap this up thank you tom and thanks to everyone for listening to cmo confidential look for more of our shows on evergreen spotify apple and youtube which include and operations-trained CEO dishes on what he really thinks about marketing. A B-School professor talks about brand value, measures, and the metaverse. And a primer on the marketing CFO and why you might need it for your organization. Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving.
Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 